Hey, here's what we're going to do this week. We're going to talk about renewing relationships all week long. Because here's the going thesis. Life is about relationships. Look, if life is great, but your relationships are horrible, then life really isn't that good, is it? On the other hand, if life is horrible, but your relationships are phenomenal, then life's pretty good. For example, if life is great, if you have it all, everything that you ever wanted, but you don't have any relationships, life's really not that good. Elizabeth and I vacationed with some friends of ours, and he sold a company pretty early on. He made it, and he built it himself. And now he's got, he's my age, and now he's got five homes, two planes, a King Air and a Pilatus. He's got a catamaran in Charleston. He's got a young family. We vacationed with them at their house in Kiowa, and it was awful. He doesn't know the Lord. So the first night, he takes me up and he starts sharing everything about his finances. And I stopped him and I said, why are you telling me this? He said, you're a pastor, right? And I said, I am. He said, so you can't tell anybody what I'm telling you? I said, it doesn't exactly work that way, but yeah, I'm not going to tell anybody. And he said, I don't have any friends I can talk to. He and his kids and his wife fought the whole time. Now he's gone through a miserable divorce. And we pulled out of that second gate of Kiowas where we vacationed with them. And my wife said, life's not really that good for them, is it? I said, no, it's not. He doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't have a relationship with the kids. He's got all the stuff, right? But life isn't that good. On the other hand, you and I both know people that their life isn't perfect. It's not even close to good. But because they have relationships, a relationship with the Lord, a relationship with others, life isn't that bad. Right before I left here to fly here, that morning, I got a call from a friend of mine, Will, and he called me. He said, Andy, I just lost my dad last night. He's my best friend. I don't know who to talk to. He was my best friend. I said, I'm so sorry, Will. I won't be back until Wednesday. I'll, I'll try to get back for the funeral. He said, don't worry about it. He said, I know he's safe in the Lord's hands, and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to grieve, but not as without hope. And I've got so many people calling me and loving me. I just got to get through this time. You and I have been in hospital rooms probably where it's filled with people that know and love that person. And you might get diagnosed with something or you might have a hard day. If you have a relationship with the Lord and you have a relationship in community, even though you have a hard time, life's really not that bad. Because life is about relationships. And I don't mean just being an extrovert or an introvert. I mean having a relationship with the Lord and having a relationship with others because God is a God of relationships. Think about that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexist in a relationship with each other in all of eternity. The Father saying to the Son, this is my Son who I love and with whom I'm well pleased. The son saying to the father, I'll do anything you want. I'll trust your will, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. The, the, the spirit saying to the son, you must, you must follow him. You must remind yourself of his sufficiency. The son saying to the spirit, unless I go, he can't come and you need him to come. The eternal trinity constantly working throughout all of human history in a relationship. That itself should tell us that this world is about relationships because God himself exists in eternal relationship with himself. It's phenomenal to think about. There's seven philosophical questions I can't answer, but one of them, don't ask me for the other six, we don't have time, but one of them is this. 
Why did God make us at all? Why did he decide even to make this world? And I don't know exactly the answer, but I do know one of the reasons why he wouldn't have done it. It's not because he was lonely. He, he didn't need us to fill some emotional void because he existed in relationship with himself as the Trinity. And so here's what we want to do. We want to talk about what I consider the theme verse of all of the Bible. If you had to pick one verse, just one verse to describe all of the scriptures, what verse would you pick? Well, I'd pick Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And that's our text for today, just that one text. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Just look at that last sentence. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. In other words, I wanna have a relationship with you. Here's the deal, I'm gonna be your God and I want you to be my children. I promise to be your God and I want you to be my people and I want to dwell with you. So when we're talking about renewing relationships, here's why. Because uh, relationships grow in and out like the tide, don't they? You don't always feel intimate with the Lord. Sometimes that relationship will be renewed. Right now you might have horizontal relationships that need to be renewed. Maybe you haven't talked to your son or your daughter or your parents or that best friend in a while. Maybe right now you and your wife are just in roommate status. You're not fighting, but you're not intimate. It's just a roommate status. The tide goes in and out with relationships. So it's a life skill to learn how to renew them, to learn how to bring them back together. And so let me ask this question, because you've got to do some work. I'm not just going to tickle your ears. You've got to do some work yourself. So right now, like today, like this morning, where are the relationships in your life that are broken? And right now, today, this morning, how's it going with the Lord? How's it going with him? You could just be checking the box, and that's cool. We're glad you're here because it's a means of grace. But right now, what's your relationship like with the Lord? Are you distant from him? Do you feel like he has his arms crossed and he's looking at you? Do you feel like he's wagging his finger at you? Do you feel like he's indifferent to you? He loves the missionaries. He loves the pastors, but you, I'm not sure about. Do you feel like he's come close but stay far away? Right now, what's your relationship like with the Lord, the king of the universe? And let's renew it. Because what he says is, they will be my people, and I will be their God. And he's not shaking his finger, and he doesn't have his arms crossed. He's holding them out saying, come to me. Anybody who's weary or heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. Just come to me. Now, how does he do this? He does this. He shows us relationships through his incarnation. It's a theological word. You've heard it before, but incarnation is broken down this way. He comes in the carnal body or in the carnal flesh. He takes on flesh and he comes to us to show and to prove to us that he does want to have a relationship with us. It's astounding. If you take some time just to meditate on what God does in the incarnation, it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, I went to, um, 
school to study philosophy because when I became a believer at 14, uh, growing up in these atheist homes, uh, I didn't know anything about who I was. And I got to school. And here's what I realized. I don't know if I'm a Christian because I grew up in the South. Like if I grew up in India, would I be a Hindu? If I grew up in Iran, would I be Muslim? If I just, did I just buy into the culture? So thankfully, because of my major, I could study world religions, and I studied all of them. I said, I'm going to give them a fair shake academically. And I studied every one of them just to see. And you know what I found out? My people at Mitchell Road get tired of hearing me say this. Christianity is the only world religion where God comes to us where he incarnates himself to us. Every other world religion, uh, the five double truths, the eightfold path, anything else getting to enlightenment, the sacrificial systems, you have to work your way up to get God to like you or to uh, somehow placate him. In Christianity, unlike any other world religion and any other cult, our God comes to us, he descends to us, he humiliates himself so that we might know him. In the process of that study, I read a quote by Soren Kierkegaard. He's a Dutch philosopher, and it kind of put it together for me. And it's a long quote, and I know that Ray doesn't like long quotes, but, but some of you do. So I'm here to fulfill all of your dreams. And if you've been longing for long quotes for the last 20 years, I'm your guy. Soren Kierkegaard says, suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared to breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all opponents. Yet this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden. How could he declare his love for her in an odd sort of way? His kingliness tied his hands if he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared to resist him, but would she love him? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort, waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He didn't want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover, an equal. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she a humble maiden. And he wanted to let shared love cross the gulf between them. For it is only in love that the unequal can be made equal. And it's not a perfect analogy, but I think you see the point. That what God does is takes on flesh and says, I want to have a relationship with you. That's why he comes in the flesh to us. And then he shows us how to have a relationship that's what God does in his earthly ministry. And there's four things that he does. They're written in your bulletin there. But there's four eyes that he does to show us how we initiate and how we have relationships with each other. The first thing he does is to initiate. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The disciples didn't just find them. He had to come to the disciples, and he said, follow me, now come to me. He had to initiate that conversation. And our God is a God of initiation. He always initiates with his people. Just think about it. Just survey the Bible with me for a second. Adam and Eve sin, and they run and hide in the forest, and God comes after him, and he says, where are you? He initiates. 
He initiates with Abraham and Sarah, and he comes to them and he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He comes to them. He initiates with Samuel and calls him into service. He initiates with Elijah multiple times and calls him to him. He initiates with Hagar. He initiates with Ezekiel. One of my favorite stories, Ezekiel, on the banks of the Babylon River of that canal, when he was 30, on his 30th birthday, he was supposed to be anointed priest in Jerusalem, and he's stuck in Babylon, and God comes to him and gives him a vision. He initiates with him. He initiates with the woman at the well. I know how many husbands you've had, and the guy you're living with is not him. He initiates with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. Every southern wife's worst nightmare. I'm going to show up in right now. Do I have time to get ready to go to the fresh market? No, you don't have time for anything. Can I go to the public first? Nope. I'm coming right now. I'm initiating with you right now. God initiates with us, and that's how relationships work. That's how your relationship with the Lord works. He initiates with you, but we also initiate with him. Uh, that's just a couple weeks ago, or actually a couple days ago, I met with this girl who's going through a horrendous divorce. And her husband was actually in my journey group, and we could see the whole thing happening from a mile away, about two years away. You could just see the trajectory. Couldn't do a thing to stop it. I've tried everything. I couldn't stop it. She was in my office the other day, and she said, Andy, I feel so far from, I feel so far from God. And I need him now more than I ever have, and I don't know how to get back to him. I said, well, Casey, you got to initiate. I said, here's the deal. I want you to read five psalms every day. So if it's the first day of the month, read the psalms one through five. It's day seven, you know, read psalms seven times five. Read those psalms. Just read those psalms. And over 30 days, you'll hit all 150 psalms. And all the human emotions are in the psalms anyway. So read those psalms. And whatever you feel, whatever emotion you have, you initiate that with God. You say, God, that's me. I'm lonely. That's me, I'm afraid. That's me, I'm overwhelmed. That's me, I'm scared to death. That's me, I feel abandoned. That's me, I feel downcast. You just initiate. That's how relationships start. Look, if you want a business contract, they're not just gonna fly through the door of your office. You've gotta pick up the phone and call somebody, right? You've gotta initiate. And some of you know, not only with the Lord do we have to initiate, but you have to initiate with somebody else. My wife is from German background. I'm uh, Irish and Scottish, and so we don't fight big and make up big. We, just, we live in a cold war when we're not doing well. And you can feel it. You know what has to happen to break us out of that? Somebody has to say, and it should probably always be me, hey, we need to talk about this, right? We need to talk about where we are. We met, she was a freshman, I was a sophomore, and I saw her for two months across the campus, and uh, I always hoped that she would see me too, and that one day she would just walk up to me and say, you know, I've been observing you from across campus, I'd really love to have your babies <laughs> and get married to you. And let's just, let's just forego the whole dating thing. Let's just sign this. I would have said, yes, I'm in. I'm in. But it doesn't work that way. If I wanted a relationship with that girl, what did I have to do? I had to initiate. I had to go to her and say, hey, do you want to go out sometime? 
You know, there was heart just pounding out of my chest. My friends hiding behind trees at the quads, waiting to see if she's going to say yes or not. That's a true story. You have to initiate. Here's the second I. You have to identify. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That's the astounding thing about what God does. He's the high priest. He's the king of kings. He's the second person of the Trinity. And he comes to us and he says, I now know, because I've taken on flesh, I now know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like for your mom to put a burden on you that you don't feel like you can carry. I know what it's like for your dad to turn his back away from you. I know what it's like to have my closest friends misunderstand me. I know what it's like to be cut out of society. I know what it's like to be lonely and want to love. I know all of these things. He identifies with us, and that's why we sing the song, what a friend we have at Jesus. What a friend he is. Because whatever you feel in your relationship right now, whatever you're feeling in your soul, he can identify with it. And he can say, yeah, I've been there. So you didn't get a date to prom. My daughter didn't either. But she grew closer to Jesus. And I said, I said Kate, which is astounding to me because she's a beautiful girl and just didn't work out the way we thought it would. I said, Kate, I know what your heart desires. Your heart desires for somebody to take an interest in you. Jesus had felt the same way time and time again. Or maybe you feel like nobody appreciates you or nobody loves you or nobody sees you for who you actually are. Jesus felt the same way. Maybe you feel like you're trying to do it all on your own. Jesus felt the same way. He identifies with us. I didn't tell the story last night, but I'll tell it today. Uh, 2020 was a crazy year, especially for pastors. We've talked about a lot of things. But you know what I got a greater response from than anything else I said in 2020? It was a trite comment I said in the sermon. And in one sermon in particular, I said, I have a ton of friends, and I do. I'm one of the rare, I think, individuals that I have more friends than I can keep up with. I have a loving wife, a wonderful family, And still, with all of that, I put my head on my bed sometimes at night, and I have a crippling sense of loneliness. And people came out of the woodwork. I came out of the woodwork to say, you too? I feel that same way. The loneliness I've started to realize is God just calling me back to him, saying, yeah, you've got all these earthly friends, but come come back to me. Spend some time with me. You've done so many things for me today. You haven't done them with me. You've just done them for me. Come back to me. That's what I realized it was. But when I said that, so many people said, I feel lonely too. And it's a way to identify because as C.S. Lewis said, you become friends with somebody when one person says to another person, you too? You feel that way too? You feel lonely too? 
You love to play golf too. You had an abortion too. You've got prodigal kids too. All of those are identification, learning how to empathize and sympathize with others to understand what they're feeling. That's what Christ does with us. That's what we do with others. And then invade. That's the third I. Matthew chapter 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, the the important part about that text is verse 15, who do you say I am? We can hear about what everybody else thinks, but I want to invade your life with a hard question. You know, I feel the most loved when someone's willing to criticize me. That's when I feel the most loved, because that means I know they're for me. They actually want me to improve. But you know what that means? They have to invade. My deepest, most intimate relationships are those with guys or those with people who have been willing to say, Andy, you're off there. Andy, I see this in your life, and it needs to change. Willing to invade. Look, you can live your entire life in passivity. You can live your entire life just so-called keeping the peace. But what we all need desperately is for God to invade our lives with his truth and for us to be able to invade others' lives. And we don't want to do it because we don't want to appear holier than thou, right? But meanwhile, we need each other. We desperately need each other to invade each other's lives with the truth of the gospel and to have God invade our lives with the truth, to be corrected. Now, if you're not a believer, and at Mitchell Road, we have a lot of uh, non-believers that come. Some come for years, um, and a lot of them are friends of mine, but I say this all the time. You don't want a God that just plays it nice and coy. You want a God who will correct you, You want a God who can say to you the hard things about your sexuality, about your spirituality, about how you spend your money, about how you spend your time. You want a God who loves you enough to tell you the hard things. That's not just a genie in a bottle, who's not just some nice, meek, and mild butler. You want a God who's willing to say the hard things, and that's how you get the third eye, which is intimacy. Because wounds from a friend can be trusted. Look, when you initiate with somebody, when you identify, you try to understand where they're coming from, you identify with where the Lord is coming from, you let him invade your life with the truth, then you get intimacy. But we don't like intimacy, do we? We say we do, but we don't. It's scary because intimacy is vulnerable. It means you have to put yourself out there. C.S. Lewis says, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully with hobbies and luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless, airless, it will change. 
It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable and impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. But that's what we're longing for, is intimacy. Look, we went, uh, I, you saw the picture, we were in San Francisco, but we went on a family vacation, 10 days, because my daughter's getting ready to go to college. 10 days we went out west, and in 24 years of being Mitchell Road, 10 days is the longest I've ever been away from that church. And so we decided to go away just for 10 days, and uh, we went to Yosemite, and my wife said, all I wanna do in Yosemite is see a bear. And I said, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> because I'm learning how to invade. Uh, I'm learning how to keep the relationship a little bit more raw, right? So we can have more intimacy. I said, that's a stupid idea. I said, that's why they make zoos. You can pay 20 bucks and we can see a bear there. Like, I don't, we don't want to see a bear in the wild. There's nowhere to hide. Well, the Lord loves her more than he loves me because we saw a bear. We saw him at the top of these falls, and there's a lot of people around, and we saw him from a distance, and that was great. That was nice. It was wonderful. We could take a picture, and she checked our box. And then after that, we had to do the John Muir Trail, and so it was this really steep, it's in the middle of nowhere, but it was the trail we needed to take to get back, and it was filled with switchbacks. I don't, you don't have those in Florida because you don't have mountains like they do in California, but switchbacks are where it's so steep you can't go straight up. You've got to go back and forth and back and forth, and that bear that we saw started to track us. And so we, would, we were switching back, and he was going straight up the mountain. And so every time we would come around a turn, and the switchbacks are twice the size of this room, he would kind of be there perched on a rock or maybe right below us in a bush. And we didn't always know where he was, and we saw him probably 15 times. And the problem was he was a cub, and I couldn't spot the mom. And moms are the ones that maul people, right? Just in life in general. Uh, and in the bear world. I mean, it happens in both places. And several times we got around to the place where the bear was within seven feet of us. And we were shot, we'd see the bear there, we'd make noises, we'd kind of usher on. And I thought the same thing that every father and every husband would think in that situation. I'm still the fastest person in this family. <laughs> By far. I can easily outrun my daughters. And they're getting expensive. And I don't have enough money for a wedding. So we can just have them go out in a blaze of glory. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I love my daughters. Now I was playing the scenarios through in my head and my scenarios were, if this thing lunges at my wife, because one time it was so close to my wife and it started to lurch a little bit, what's my play? You know, I thought my play is I'm gonna tackle the bear because I know I can get my hands on him and I'm just gonna roll off the mountain. We both might not make it, but at least my family's safe. I know that much, right? I, I, I can eliminate the threat. Maybe kill myself in the process, but I can eliminate the threat. See, most of us, we're okay with Jesus if he's behind the glass doors of a zoo if we can keep him from a distance. But when we meet Jesus out in the wild of life and he actually wants to speak into who we forgive, he wants to speak into how we speak, he wants to speak into and invade our lives in the wild of life, we're not quite as comfortable with that. See, most of us don't have an intimacy with Christ for one simple reason. We don't want a relationship with God, we want a contract with him. 
That's what we want. And that's why towards the end of your life, even if you've walked with the Lord for 20 or 30 or 40 years, you might be more bitter and cynical than when you began your journey because you thought you were signing up for a contract. And the contract is this. You say, okay, God, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to tithe, maybe, maybe not 10%, but you know, I'll give some money to the church. If I have a banner year, I'll give a, a little bit more if I can. Uh, I'm going to put my kids in Christian school. I'll do that. I'm going to um, be faithful to my wife, and I'll try to be a real moral person, at least not like that guy down the street. Um, I'm going to I'll maybe go on a mission trip. Um, and if you stretch my arm, I'll help at VBS, but I'm not going to like it. And then uh, you're going to not give me cancer, and you're going to uh, let me have a good job, and you're going to give me a couple kids, 2.5, and a dog. And um, if you could, you write all of it down. You don't know you're writing it down. God, if you could just sign. If you just sign here, this is going to be great. Just sign at the bottom line, God. And I'll do my part, and you do your part, and this whole thing will go swimmingly. You should think about that. What's your contract that you've written that you want God to sign? Here's what, God, here's what God does. God says, here's how it's going to work. Um, just sign there. And you say, well, it's, it's blank. I don't know what you're going to fill it in with. <laughs> I know. Just, just sign there. I'm going to be your God, and I want you to be my people. Well, I, does that mean I'm going to get divorced? Does that mean I'll never get married? Does that mean I'm not going to go to college? Does that mean I'm going to have to give up more of my resources? No, no, just sign there. I want to, I'm going to be your God. I'll protect you. I'll never leave you. I'll forsake you. I'll watch over you all the days of your life. I'll bring you joy. I'll bring you peace. Just sign there. But here's the deal. We don't want a covenantal relationship. We want a contract. We want God to fulfill the things that we want him to do for us. But what God says is, I want to give you a covenantal love. And yeah, you might still go through difficulties in life, but you go through it with the Lord. I was skiing with my son. We taught all of our kids how to ski. It's my Western Pennsylvania roots, I guess. We taught all of our kids how to ski at an early age. And uh, usually when I would teach them how to ski, I would ski backwards and hold poles and teach them how to shift their weight while they're doing that. My son hated that for some reason. He said, Dad, you have to be behind me. He was like five or six. And so I started skiing behind him. And I'm still not sure how it happened, but I was kind of behind him holding his hips, teaching him how to shift his weight. And somehow his skis got on my skis. And when I tried to pick him up, he couldn't move his ski far enough out. It would come right back down on my ski. And we're getting, as we're skiing downhill, this is happening. We're getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And we got to a point where I started to realize, like when you're on a bike, when you're like 12 or 13 and you're going so fast, you realize I'm going to fall. It's just a matter of how I do it. At this point, you know, it starts to shimmy and everything. We're going so fast down this hill. We came over this ridge, and then right in front of us are the lift lines and the lodge, and everybody can see us. And we come over this ridge, and we hit this patch of ice, and I think it's now or never. Either I run into that lift line, or I run right into the lodge, or we bail now. So I grabbed him, and I held him tight. He was only five or six, and I just 
turned to my side. All of our skis clicked off immediately, you know, all four bindings. Skis are going everywhere, gloves are going everywhere, poles are going everywhere, we're going around and around and around down the ice. I'm humiliated, I'm physically hurt, I'm taking all of these bruises, all of these pains, and at that same time, at that exact moment, while we're tumbling over and over again, I hear my son laughing. <laughs> this high-pitched six-year-old, <laughs> just loving it. Look, if you follow the Lord, it doesn't mean you won't get cancer. And it doesn't mean you won't go through the tumbles of life. And it doesn't mean everything's gonna work out perfectly for you. You'll go through all of those, but you'll go through them with the everlasting arms wrapped around you. And Jesus will take all the blows on his back. And all the pain that you should feel, he'll absorb so that you just pass through the shadow of death. You do all of those same things with him holding you tight in covenantal relationship. And you know what, it means you can even, in the worst times of life, you can even chuckle a little bit. Because you know you have a God who will never leave you or forsake you, who wants to be your God and wants you to be his people. After Revelation chapter 21 verse 3, I heard this loud voice, look, God's dwelling place is among the people, and he'll dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. It says this, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed, and he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. I'll close with this. Each night, as we're going to unpack this uh, through faith, hope, and love, the next three nights, I'm going to teach us more about renewing our relationships. Uh, but each uh, night, I'm going to give you homework because... Again, I said, I'm, I'm not here just to tickle your ears and tell you stories. That didn't do us any good. I want you to have a little bit of skin in the game, right? So here's your homework for today. If you are coming back tonight, here's your homework for today. All I need you to do, all I need you to do today, your homework, is just to enjoy Jesus. Just enjoy. I say to our congregation all the time. What's the point of having a savior unless you enjoy him? What's the point of having him? What's the point of having a relationship with him unless you adore him and enjoy him? And I just want you to enjoy Jesus today. Enjoy that the, the Trinity has divinely conspired to save you and so that you could know the king of kings and the king of the universe and have a relationship with him. Let's enjoy it. Enjoy that more than anything else. Just bask in it. Bask in the wonder that he would identify with us. The wonder of the fact that he would incarnate himself to us. The wonder of the fact that he would risk enough to invade us and that he would want not just a contract with us, but intimacy and relationship with us. The king of the universe wants to know you and it's made possible through Christ. Just enjoy it. One of my favorite stories, I don't think Ray's told, I don't know if he knows it, but I told it last night, is this child with uh, autism, 
went to a, a children's play, a children's theater. I think it was Peter Pan. And uh, Peter Pan was flying. You know, they rigged him up with a harness, and he was flying through the air in this children's production, and the, the son was just enamored by it. And he got in the car, and he was talking up a blue streak. How did they do that? That's amazing. He was flying all over the place. And the father interjected. And the father said, well, he has a harness, and he's got this string, and they have this rigging. And from the back seat, the son said, no, no, no. Dad got quiet. He said, I don't want to know, Dad. I just want to wonder. I want to wonder at it all. And it's time as Christians that we learn to wonder at who God is, that he's our father, that we get to call him Abba. And if you're not a believer, just wonder at what it would be like to go through this life knowing a God who loves you and will wrap you around with his everlasting arms. Let's just, for our homework, enjoy Jesus together. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we pray and just give a 10, 20 seconds of pause for these new friends of mine to initiate whatever conversation they need to have with you.